Hey everyone, before we get started, let me just say that we are so thankful for the great work that's being done across agricultural leadership and the leadership discipline in general. We have tried our best to acknowledge the work of authors as we discuss them in the podcast, but in case we missed it, just let us know and we'll be glad to make sure that we give credit where credit is due. Now, let's head on into the day's episode and engage with the Leadership Combine. Welcome to the Leadership Combine podcast. We're going to talk about the diversity and the stereotypes within the agricultural industry across the United States. We'll be talking about different regions in the U.S. and all points in between. So grab your favorite ag product, settle in, and let us get started. It's time for the Leadership Combine, a place where learning and applying lessons of leadership helps you make a larger impact and become a better and more informed leader. Get ready to engage in leadership, agriculture, community development, and all points in between. This podcast is sponsored by the Agricultural Leadership Discipline at Texas Tech University. Settle in. It's time to start the combine. Today, we're going to be talking about diversity and the stereotypes in the agricultural communities from coast to coast. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Hedrick. As a reminder, our content experts have been taking a diversity in agriculture course offered through the Ag Leadership Discipline at Texas Tech University. Today's guests are Talon, Cade, and Macy. You'll get a chance to learn more about them in this episode. Thank you all for being part of the Leadership Combine today. The U.S. is a very large agriculture powerhouse, and there's lots of information to cover today. So, as we get into the geography and some common misconceptions about agriculture, let's learn about the different regions and how those connect to diversity. Before we get started, what can you tell me about U.S. agriculture as a whole? Yes, sir. We're going to talk about the regions, and then we'll get into the bigger parts of agriculture. Awesome. Well, let's get started. So, Macy, um, get us started with the different regions today. Okay, so just first before we get too in, in deep in it, we're going to talk about why this is important to us right now. So we want to talk about it because we just want to highlight the diversity of the ag industry because I feel like consumers don't realize how diverse their farmers and producers are. They don't know that they aren't just 50-year-old men, and they also don't know where their food comes from, and that's nothing against them. I feel like they just need to be educated about where their food comes from, and once they do know that what grows near them and what is available in their state and region, the more educated and agriculturally literate they can be. I think that's a good point. And I think that um, that's a perfect way to get us started. So a little bit more about Macy. Macy's uh, originally from Washington State, and she's going to be talking about the western part of the United States. So Macy, tell us everything that we need to know. Okay. So I moved from Washington to the South Plains about two years ago once I started attending tech. And my whole life, or my whole time here, I guess, I've gotten a lot of stereotypes thrown on me, mostly that I'm from Seattle, from Gray's Anatomy area where it rains and it's just gross and cloudy all the time, or that I'm a hippie. For some reason, that's always a big, very popular one around here. But most people don't know that it's a really agriculturally diverse area. Mm -hmm. And the area that I'm from actually looks a lot like Lubbock. It's dry, brown, flat, not super pretty, but there is a lot of agriculture. 
And a lot of people think it's just big cities, skyscrapers, the Space Needle, all that fun stuff. But actually, I'm from the eastern side, which is full of smaller towns, which we talked about in class one, a few times about smaller towns and food deserts and all that stuff. And that's what it immediately, immediately reminded me of. Uh, small towns with smaller populations having to drive about 30, 40 minutes into larger towns, probably about maybe, but I mean large, about 50,000 people tops, not giant cities with thousands of, upon thousands of people, but still big enough where there can be maybe like a 2A, 1A high school. But uh, besides that, the agriculture is just really, really interesting up there. And what a lot of people don't know is that there is a mount mountain chain that goes down through most of the West Coast. Uh, in Washington, it's called the Cascades. And on the western side of the Cascades, it's the rainy side that people think about when they think of Washington. And then on the other side, the east side, it's dry. And that's where I'm from. And that's due to the rain shadow. So a lot of the, my family, they grew up growing crops such as potatoes, wheat, hay, onions, and all everything in between. Very hardy crops up there. And my family moved to Washington in the 1950s from Nebraska, actually, once the weather was becoming too unpredictable for them to be able to grow successfully and make a living. So they drove all the way up to Washington, and here we are. So, yeah. All right, great. So, Cade, we'll turn it over to you. Yes, sir. Uh, I was originally born in Lubbock, but I moved to Fort Worth. But the South Plains has always been deeply engraved in my blood. I've always loved to hear my mom grew up on a farm. My dad, he was uh, from Idaho and has um, always been in the agriculture field. Uh, with this, I was always uh, in the fields learning about what it was like to be around on the farm from sunup to sundown. Um, people describe Lubbock as windy. I mean, it is a desert. We don't get a lot of rain, maybe 19 inches a year. That's a big stereotype, but sometimes uh, we do perceive to get more rain than people um, think of. But what I, li what I like is how diverse everyone is around here, how we have more than just um, one crop. We go co cotton, uh, corn, wheat, sorghum, uh, hay grazer, and all that in between. And we also have a bunch of different um, um, groups of people that, or from around here, like Mennonites, uh, Hispanics, they're getting into big farming and it's bringing, um, I'd say the South Plains into a more diverse area to farm and what it's like to be around this region. I think one of the other things that's really interesting is the amount of grapes that's grown yes. in, in this kind of West Plains region. And a lot of people don't realize that, that grapes grow here. Yeah. So 80% of, I actually watched a documentary, 80% of all Texas grapes are from the South Plains, Lubbock area. All right. So Talon, you're up. Tell us tell us more about the Midwest. Okay, so I first off just want to say that um, I am originally from Texas, born and raised in Texas, but my um, mom is from Nebraska, the western side of Nebraska, right in the heart of the Sand Hills over the Ogallala Aquifer. So um, that's really interesting. And um, so my mom grew up on this ranch. Um, we have a lot of family that has works on the ranch and friends that works, has a ranch, works on the ranch in Nebraska as well. Um, lots of family have farms in Colorado, um, ranches in Montana, Wyoming, and so forth. So um, with that said, we've learned a lot about the Midwest through that. And I've grown up with those family members and friends working on those ranches and helping them with brandings and so forth. So whenever we talk about the Midwest, we're ma I'm mainly going to talk about um, Nebraska. 
Um, that's where my mom grew up. So that's our favorite, I should say. But um, then we'll get into the D- Dakotas, Kansas, and we're going to include Colorado and Wyoming in the Midwest too, as it's not technically part of the Midwest, but I think that um, it's close enough that we can talk about that, those regions, and they have a lot of diversity um, throughout the agriculture industry in those states as well. Um, so, Dr. Hedrick, um, we know you grew up in Kentucky, but can you give us some background of what your family did and how you perceived the crops in the eastern part of the United States? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I grew up on a tobacco and timber farm in south central Kentucky, uh, and, and that's a little bit different than probably the way that, that many of you grew up we're learning today. And so, um, yeah, timber is one of those things that that industry, um, sustainability is something that's become so important in that industry. And um, tobacco on the opposite end, um, it's really hard to find tobacco farms uh, and across a lot of the eastern U.S. and south. Um, and, and so, you know, tobacco was such a labor-intensive um, plant. Um, each plant you would you would touch each plant, we'll say seven to 10 times and across the growing season and the growing cycle. And so if you think about that, that's a lot of interaction. Um, and so um, that was that was my experience. Um, you know, we have cattle farms in the eastern part of the U.S. and across the uh, that region um, as well. Livestock is very important, dairy. Um, and you're also kind of extending from the Midwest that you talked about, Talon, with in terms of corn um, over and in, into Indiana and Ohio. Um, but then you've got, if we look up to New England, there is um, obviously Vermont maple syrup, uh, something we all enjoy with our pancakes. Um, but um, cranberries, blueberries, um, and then that's not even getting into the ocean and how agriculture ties in with the ocean in a lot of these coastal regions. And so, yeah, I think that, um, I think it's really fascinating how agriculture is so different from coast to coast as, as we're kind of learning about today and beginning to talk more about the diversity of the ag industry as a whole. I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to kind of talk about uh, ag back home and, and what that was like for me growing up. Talon, one of the things you talked about, you brought up ranching. And when you come from a ranching background, um, how would you describe the difference between farming and ranching? So um, first off, whenever I was in fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher in social our social studies class told us that ranching involved animals and farming involved crops. I've kept this definition, I guess, of the difference between the two. Ranching is not always just animals because you have to provide food for the animals that's on the ranch. Um, So I guess farming aspects do go into the ranch as well. So hay and um, meadows, hay meadows and all, I would say go into ranching as well. So um, I just think it's a difference that um, some people don't include in the ranching aspect of that um, part of our lives. But then you get into farming and farming, you think of row crops and 
um, just corn and potatoes and hay grazer and those type of crops. But in reality, we need to consider our produce crops as well as farming. And those aren't always as produced as row crops. Those can be housed in aquaponic farms and so forth. And so we really need to consider the diversity of farming um, whenever we talk about those things as well. Kate, Macy, anything to add to that? Yeah, I wouldn't say a uh, you would have a chicken ranch. I would rather say you have a chicken farm. So, I mean, there's different ways people would describe of having what a ranch is to what a farm is. But as she described it, I'd say that's pretty perfect. Okay. I agree. I also agree with Talon with the point that we need to broaden the definition of both farming and ranching. I think that it's not as simple as it might have been 50 years ago when we said, oh, farming is growing crops that we humans eat and I guess as well as uh, animals but and then ranching is cattle animals raising them for meat production I think it's a lot more just broad and I think that's due to the diversity that we're seeing uh, growing in our cultural industry in today's society so I think just taking a minute and just really really just thinking about what goes into the farming and ranching industries is just noticing how broad it is I feel like is the only way to describe it right now. Okay, so I think that what you all talked about with the difference between farming and ranching, I think that helps. And I think that you're, you're right that we have to really keep talking about the definition of those. So, Macy, let's get back to a question for you. Could you describe the diversity in crops in the western part of the U.S. for us? Oh, for sure. So I'm really proud of the state I'm from. I love to brag about how diverse Washington's agriculture is. And a lot of times people don't realize what all is grown there. And now it's not as interesting as the crops from like Oregon or California, but we still have some pretty neat stuff going on. Uh, believe it or not, Washington has a really prosperous wine industry, just like the South Plains. I mean, just in the growing industry or growing region, it's very similar, very dry, which you wouldn't think would be great for wine, but hey, it works. And actually Washington's is has like one of the fastest growing wine regions in the country. Mm. It's the second largest wine producing state in the union. And it grew from 100 wineries to 900 in just about 20 years and now tops over a thousand it's really cool really cool destination place honestly if you're a really big wine connoisseur just touring all the different wineries around there people love to show off their wine and what how they grow and just actually make the wine it's very interesting and i would love to be able to do that when i go home next it's just very very cool to see how it's made and washington's also the leading producer in apples blueberries hops cherries spearmint and raspberries so it's kind of diverse it's not nothing crazy like citrus or anything by any means but a lot of people don't know that we can grow those orchard type fruits like grapes uh, apples cherries and that's kind of where i'm from you drive 20 minutes down the road and there's just orchards beyond that, what that i can see it's crazy and it's really fun in the summer and spring to be able to go take your family and go pick them and everything. But and especially the, uh, the equipment used for it is really cool too. seeing the difference in tractors and how they harvest them was really cool as a kid being able to see that, especially because my dad, he sells John Deere equipment and is a large accounts manager. So being able to see the different forms of equipment for each type of agriculture in our area was really neat. And Oregon is where my dad's from, speaking of him. And it's very similar to Washington in terms of the rain shadow, so the eastern side being very dry and the western side being very wet. And there's about over 250 agricultural products raised in Oregon, which is a good amount for a smaller state. I mean, it's not as small as like Maryland or a lot of the east coast uh, states, but it's definitely a lot smaller than Texas or California. And they have crops ranging from wheat to salmon farms, believe it or not. And that's really cool. We got to see that as a kid growing up in third grade as a tour. 
the salmon farms really really neat and only california has a higher number of commodities than oregon which is pretty cool if you know the west coast has that statistic as well mm -hmm. and some of the other crops that oregon's known for are blackberry hazelnut peppermint cranberries all that stuff as well as christmas trees it's mm -hmm. the leading grower in christmas trees which i think is really really neat and then as we move on a little further south to california it's the final state i'll mention in the west coast and it has the really interesting crops in my opinion they have the ability just because the region and climate and the size of the state to have a lot of range in what they can grow and some of those being almonds walnuts lettuce tomatoes pistachios and crops like citrus such as oranges and due to its sheer size and the range and landscape like i said it allows for that diversity the West Coast, as you can see, it has a lot of crops that you wouldn't necessarily think it could grow. So I just feel like people, they should, if they ever have time, take a tour out in the West Coast and see what they can grow because it's really neat in my opinion. I did not know that about blueberries, blackberries. Mm -hmm. Those are all the berries. Yes. Big fan. And so, <laughs> um, so I appreciate that. I didn't, that's something I didn't know. So Macy got into some of the crops that are um, grown out in the on the western side of the United States. Um, some of those crops are also grown in the Midwest. Um, potatoes, um, wheat, corn, and so forth. There are several other crops. Um, I really wish that we could talk about all the states and all the um, crops that are grown in each state, um, but we really don't have time for that. And that we could get into a lot of diverse parts of the United States Future through that. <laughs> yes, exactly. We could always build upon that. Um, so talking about the Midwest, the Midwest is really rural. Um, you could drive an hour and not see another car on the road. Um, but, you know, we really pride in that. Um, it's my mom grew up on the ranch. It was 40 miles to town. Um, they lived in a food desert. I should I should say that. Um, Let me interrupt you real quick. Okay. We yeah. said food desert a couple mm -hmm. times. For those of our, our listening audience who are not familiar with food deserts, food deserts are places where uh, they don't have access to fresh ground products, fresh food. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that in there. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, you're good. I think it's important to establish that for sure. Um, not, I would, I want to say that um, a food desert or this food desert that my mom grew up in, they did have access to some of that through the garden, you know, that they had on the ranch and all, but it wasn't available to everyone. Um, you know, you had to drive an hour to get to the, some of these things. So um, moving on, the Midwest, as I mentioned earlier, it's above the Ogallala Aquifer. My mom talks about um the hay meadows that they had on the ranch, they'd look out and it looked like waves rolling across the fields because the soil was so shallow. Um, the water levels would get high in the summer and the it was almost like the hay was on an ocean. Um, so that's pretty cool. But um, they had a lot of, they have a lot of access to water, but as I'm sure we're all aware of, the water's not always available and we're limited on that and so they on the pivots that they have they have a lot of water limits and the amount of water that they can use is limited through those and that's um, so that's kind of a challenge for them um, but as we talk about these ranches and all it's really hard um, for some of them to have hired hands I should say because um, you pretty much have to have 
all these local people that are born and raised in these small towns um but they don't they don't get to pay them i guess as much as they would like to um a lot of people think that farmers and ranchers are rich because of the land that they have um but in the midwest there's not a lot of access to a lot of these things and yes there is a lot of open country to be used and farmed and ranched but um the u.s department of agriculture um said in 2017 that farmers and rangers only receive 15.6 cents of each dollar that com consumers spend in the grocery store and so i think that we have to take that into consideration that um that's a stereotype i should say that's put on farms and ranches um that we're just trying to survive and feed america and the world the best that we can so and i would say you know that that impacts farmers and ranchers across the u.s as well um and so yeah. so i think that that is something we see that that they have in common across regions and yeah. so um something definitely to to kind of be aware of I would agree. It's not only in the Midwest, it's all across. And we have to keep that in mind as we go across the United States. So Kate, we've heard about the West. We've heard about the Midwest. What can you tell us about the Southern region? The South Plains, it's very diverse. And um, what we grow, I wouldn't say it's as diverse as the Midwest or uh, the East, or the West Coast. Um, so we, we strand from uh, South Southern Can uh, Kansas, all of Oklahoma, and the, uh, the East part of New Mexico and here in Texas a little bit. Um, we grow mostly cotton. That's our m biggest cash crop. That's our money maker. Um, alfalfa, hay grazer, um, and a bunch of other things. But what I'd say is we have different ways of going about how they farm and how we are different from what they farm. Um, our techniques are a little bit different um, in what we use and how we use them. I mean, some places have more rain in these regions that they're talking about uh, more than us, as I've described that before. Um, it's very different. Um, we don't have as many trees as they do or fruit that they grow, but we do have the pumpkin capital of the United States, which is Floydata, Texas. So that is kind of cool in that not a lot of things that you would think of that are grown out in the South Plains that we actually get to grow. So we've learned a lot about Kind of production agriculture in the u.s but let's talk about some of the stereotypes that exist for the industry can you all give me some stereotypes that you've heard about agriculture or about farmers i'd say some of them or one of them is a white male you know most most of them aren't going to be of color or of another race yeah old guys wearing overalls that's the biggest thing is everybody just thinks a farmer is just an old dude that wears overalls Maybe a plaid shirt. That's yeah. a, that's a big one. Uh, probably. I've heard that people think that farmers are super rich and wealthy, and I don't know necessarily where that come from. comes from because I know how much a singular combine costs, but that's a really popular one that I've heard is that farmers are wealthy and you know, sit on a big pile of cash and everything. Well, I think you all bring up some, some of the, the stereotypes that probably resonate the most and that we hear the most. But I know you have done some some research into this. And so what can you tell us about uh, the current status or the current state of the American farmer? Yeah, from the U.S. Census of Agriculture in 2017, it uh, says 64% of farmers are, are male. Uh, 63 are over the age of 55, which that has come up about 8% uh, from 2012. 
Um, 95.4% of them are white. Um, 3.3 Hispanic or Latina. Uh, 1.6% um, are American Indian or Native Alaskan. And 1.3 are black. Black, uh, black only farms account for about 4 or 0.4% of farmland in the United States. So a very small percentage very small when we're percentage. thinking about that. I know that there's been a lot to address some of this, and um, but there's some other challenges as well. Um, but I know that there's a lot of nonprofits that have started to really focus on getting people of color involved in the ag industry. So many times, um, as you all mentioned, they don't they haven't had access to the farmland and to those sort of things, and so they're really having to discover how um, how things work, how to how to have access to the land, and um, so I think that there's a lot of work that's being done to, to increase visibility of the American farmer. Um, but some of the stereotypes you all said, one of the things I'm noticing is that we're not too far off. Right. Um, it is mostly white men in fields, um, though we're beginning to see many more women um, come into positions of leadership and um, getting involved in production agriculture. I think that... Um, there, there's still a lot of conversations to be had. So we've talked about a lot of things today, but let's get into to one more section. Tell me about some of the challenges or the, the things coming up on the horizon for U.S. agriculture. So, Dr. Hedrick, you mentioned women coming into the agriculture industry. Um, we didn't mention those in the stereotypes, but a lot of women aren't in the agriculture industry, but we're getting into more and more of that. Um, the Cowboy Channel um, has a segment or a show, I should say, called Ranch Her. Um, and that's talking about and um, interviewing these women that have come into the agriculture industry. And so that's very interesting and in how we're in including those in that. And I know when you look nationwide, uh, colleges of agriculture, the enrollment is um, Females are the majority of that across the country now. So I, I definitely think there's some changes coming there um, in the future. What are some other things? Uh, I would say maybe the technology that's being used in farming now, it al allows for a lot more inclusion. Uh, I know that a lot of the tractors and equipment that they're using nowadays, they have GPS systems that are beyond advanced that I'm sure that any farmers back 50 years ago could even imagine. It's to the point where these tractors can technically honestly drive themselves. People just can just hop up in there and just click a button and then they will go through the rows and everything. It's just amazing. I know these are very expensive pieces of equipment to add on to your uh, tractors or combines or anything, but just that inclusion, I mean, that just allows for anyone, honestly, to be able to farm. Just getting up into the tractor might be a difficult part, but just, I think that the technology, just seeing where it's at right now, just imagine where it'll be in 20 more years. I just, I'm, that makes me very interested to see what the future of the ag industry has in store. I think it's accessibility is something yes, that definitely is, is, is important. Um, I watched a news story over the weekend about a, a farmer in Nebraska who was, um, he was a paraplegic mm -hmm. and he still worked every day uh, on the family farm with the, the use of uh, assistive devices and mm -hmm. technology. So I think that's a good point. Anything else? I'd say budgeting. Budgeting is a big thing, not knowing how much money you're going to make from year in and year out, um, knowing that you're going to have to buy your seed ahead of time, buy your fertilizer, rent out the land where you're farming, paying for your water. That's a big thing. That's something that a lot of farmers struggle with, knowing um, if they can make it 
another year, put food on the table for their families and get the equipment that they need. Cause equipment, like she was saying earlier, is very pricey, uh, very expensive and spending that much money on something that you may not need if you can drive it straight is something that may not be a necessity to you. I think when we, when we think about uncertainty in the ag industry, that um, there's a lot of factors that, that come into play right now. I know that the lack of rain uh, in, in West Texas is something that is having a direct impact on, on farmers. And so as we think about um, climate, weather patterns, all these things that we hear about, like we have to think about how that impacts farmers, individuals, but the industry as a whole as well. Anything else that you all can think of for the future? Possibly weather. I mean, that's another kind of uncontrollable uh, in terms of predicting it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but the rain, that's a big thing. I know that uh, eastern New Mexico is facing a lot of wildfires right now. And that's a scary, very scary uh, t topic to discuss just because that's another thing we can't control. And the weather, I know that just makes it really difficult. I mean, that was a problem even back in the 50s, like I mentioned way back earlier. My parents, they, or my grandparents, they had to move all the way from Nebraska due to that problem. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to get better at predicting that, but that will always be a constant challenge that farmers and producers will have to face. We focused a lot on U.S. agriculture today. We talk about the diversity found in the U.S. in terms of agricultural productivity and products, and we've talked about our farmers and ranchers across the U.S. as well. While we're all on the same agriculture team, we can also build walls between ourselves. Many people get upset, for example, on meatless Mondays, but aren't plants and vegetables part of the diversity that we've talked about in terms of ag production? Um, I do have to say that the majority or most of our goals of farmers and ranchers are collectively the same. Many farmers and ranchers come from a family of several generations working in the industry. However, some are that are working in the industry because they have found a passion for what it offers. Farming and ranching is a way of life. It is what we do. We ride the highs and the lows. We learn how to survive the droughts and are thankful for when we get rain. In the end, we all want to live this lifestyle and put food on the tables for families like our own. We are the 1% that feeds the 99%. Anything else to add? No, I guess just promoting agricultural literacy. And I hope that that's what, this is, that's what this podcast does. I really hope that consumers get a hold of it and listen and learn. And I just feel like knowing where your food comes from and what goes into it and where it grows, it, that's what we're talking about today, uh, just is really important in terms of just, like I said, just being more agricultural literate, which means just being more conscious about how your food's grown, where it comes from, and how agriculture affects your daily lives. So talking about the hard things that most people don't want to talk about whenever it comes to agriculture. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that after today, our audience does understand how diverse U.S. agriculture is. Mm -hmm. You all gave some interesting perspectives on the different regions of the U.S., and I, I really wish that we could have covered all of those, all, every state and what they bring to the table. Um, but I think that one of the things we've learned is more about the stereotypes and the realities of the U.S. farmer and rancher. Let's have our guests tell you a little bit more about themselves. Uh, tell the audience who you are, where you're from, and your major. Um, I am Talon Eaton, originally from Ovalo, Texas, and I am an agriculture communications major with a minor in ag leadership. Okay. 
My name is Cade Hudson. I am from Fort Worth, Texas, and my uh, degree is Ag Leadership. Okay, and I'm Macy Meads, and I'm from Kennewick, Washington, and my major is Agricultural Communications. Well, I really appreciate you all being with us today and helping us to, to better understand U.S. agriculture. So that's all for our episode on today's Leadership Combine. I hope you've enjoyed learning as much as we've had discussing agriculture and diversity. Join us for our next episode of the Leadership Combine. Tell your friends if you're enjoying learning from these young agriculturalists. Don't forget to like and subscribe to get a future updates. From our combine to yours, make it a great day. Thank you for riding along today in the Leadership Combine. The purpose of this podcast is to make you think about the intersection of leadership, agriculture, community development, and all points in between. No matter where you're listening from, thanks for your support and tell others. You can engage with us on Instagram and Twitter at TTUAG Leadership. Till next time, you've been listening to the Leadership Combine.